0: SECTION 11 OF THE NAVAL OFFICER, OR SCENES IN THE LIFE AND ADVENTURES OF FRANK MILDMAY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. THE NAVAL OFFICER, OR SCENES IN THE LIFE AND ADVENTURES OF FRANK MILDMAY By Captain Frederick Marriott CHAPTER X. She is virtuous, though bred behind the scenes, and whatever pleasure she may feel in seeing herself applauded on the stage, she would much rather pass for a modest girl than for a good actress. Gilles Blas. "'My father,' said Eugenia, "'was at the head of this company of strolling players.' my mother was a young lady of respectable family at a boarding-school she took a fancy to my father in the character of rolla and being of course deservedly forsaken by her friends became a prima donna i was the only fruits of this connection and the only solace of my mother in her affliction for she bitterly repented the rash step she had taken at five years old my father proposed that I should take the character of Cupid in the opera of Telemach. To this my mother strongly objected, declaring that I never should go upon the stage, and this created a disunion which was daily embittered by my father's unkind treatment, both of my mother and myself. I never left her side for fear of a kick, which I was sure to receive when I had not her protection. She employed all her spare time in my instruction, and notwithstanding the folly she had been guilty of, she was fully competent to the task. When I was seven years old, a relation of my mother died, and bequeathed fifteen thousand pounds to be equally divided between her and her two sisters, securing my mother's portion in such a manner as to prevent my father having any control over it. As soon as my mother obtained this information, she quitted my father, who was too prudent to spend either his time or his money in pursuit of her. Had he been aware of her sudden change of fortune, he might have acted differently. We arrived in London, took possession of the property, which was all in the funds, and then, fearing my father might gain information of her wealth, my mother set off for France, taking me with her there i passed the happiest days of my life my mother spared no pains and went to considerable expense in my education the best masters were provided for me in singing dancing and music and so much did i profit by their instruction that i was very soon considered a pretty specimen of my countrywomen and much noticed accordingly from france we went to italy where we remained two years and where my vocal education was completed my poor mother lived all this time on the principle of her fortune concluding it would last for ever at last she was taken ill of a fever and died this was about a year ago when i was only sixteen delirious many days before her death she could give me no instructions as to my future conduct or where to apply for resources i happened however to know her banker in london and wrote to him immediately. In answer he informed me that a balance of forty pounds was all that remained in his hands. I believe he cheated me, but I could not help it. My spirits were not depressed at this news. I sold all the furniture, paid the little debts to the tradespeople, and with nine pounds in my pocket, took my place in the diligence and set off for London, where I arrived without accident i read in the newspaper at the inn that a provincial company was in want of a young actress for genteel comedy my mother's original passion for the stage had never left her and during our stay in france we often amused ourselves with la petite comédie in which i always took a part without resources i thought a precarious mode of obtaining a livelihood was better than a vicious one and determined to try my fortune on the stage so i ordered a hack and drove to the office indicated i felt a degree of comfort when i discovered that my father was the advertising manager although i was certain he would never recognise me i was engaged by the agent the bargain was approved of and in a day or two after was ordered to a country town some miles from the metropolis i arrived my father did not know me nor did i wish that he should as i did not intend to remain long in the company in short i aspired to the london boards but aware that i wanted practice without which it would have been useless to have offered myself i accepted this situation without delay and applied with great assiduity to the study of my profession my father, I found, had married again, and my joining the company added nothing to his domestic harmony, my stepmother becoming immoderately jealous of me. But I took good care to keep my own secret, and never exposed myself for one moment to any suspicion of my character, which hitherto, thank heaven, has been pure though i am exposed to a thousand temptations and beset by the actors to become the wife of one or the mistress of another among those who proposed the latter was my honoured father to whom on that account i was one day on the point of revealing the secret of my birth as the only means of saving myself from his importunities he was at last taken ill and died only three months ago not before I had completed my engagements and obtained an increased salary of one guinea and a half per week. It is my intention to quit the company at the expiration of my present term, which will take place in two months, for I am miserable here, although I am quite at a loss to know what will be my future destination. In return for her confidence, I imparted as much of my history as I thought it necessary for her to know, I became deeply fascinated. I forgot Miss Somerville, and answered my father's letter respectfully and kindly. He informed me that he had procured my name to be entered on the books of the guard-ship at Spithead, but that I might gain time to loiter by the side of Eugenio, I begged his permission to join my ship without returning home, alleging, as a reason, that delay would soften down any asperity of feeling occasioned by the late fracas this in his answer he agreed to enclosing a handsome remittance and the same post brought a pressing invitation from mr somerville to come to hall my little actress informed me that the company would set out in two days for the neighbourhood of portsmouth and as i found that they would be more than a fortnight in travelling i determined to accept the invitation and quit her for the present I had been more than a week in her society. At parting I professed my admiration and love. Silence and a starting tear were her only acknowledgement. I saw that she was not displeased, and I left her with joyful anticipations. But what did I anticipate as I rolled heedlessly along in the chaise to Blank Hall? Sensual gratification at the expense of a poor, defenceless orphan— whose future life would be clouded with misery i could see my wickedness and moralise upon it but the devil was triumphant within me and i consoled myself with the vulgar adage needs must when the devil drives with this i dismissed the subject to think of emily whose residence was now in sight i arrived at blank hall was kindly received and welcomed by both father and daughter But on this visit I must not dwell. When I reflect on it I hate myself and human nature. Could I be trusted? Yet I inspired unbounded confidence. Was I not as vicious as any one my age could be? Yet I made them believe I was almost perfection. Did I deserve to be happy? Yet I was so, and more so, than I had ever been before or ever have been since i was like the serpent in eden though without his vile intentions beauty and virtue united to keep my passions in subjection when they had nothing to feed on they concealed themselves in the inmost recesses of my bosom had i remained always with emily i should have been reclaimed but when i quitted her i lost all my good feelings and good resolutions not however before the bright image of virtue had lighted up in my bosom a holy flame which has never been entirely extinguished occasionally dimmed it has afterwards burnt up with renewed brightness and as a beacon light has often guided me through perils that might have overwhelmed me compelled at last to quit this earthly paradise i told her at parting that i loved her adored her and to prove that i was in earnest and that she believed me i obtained a lock of her hair when i left Blank hall it was my intention to have joined my ship as i had agreed with my father but the temptation to follow up my success with the fair and unfortunate eugenia was too strong to be resisted at least i thought so and therefore hardly made an effort to conquer it true i did pro forma make my appearance on board the guard-ship had my name entered on the books that i might not lose my time of servitude and that i might also deceive my father all this being duly accomplished i obtained leave of absence from my first lieutenant an old acquaintance who in a ship crowded with supernumerary midshipmen was but too happy in getting rid of me and my chest i hastened to the rendezvous and found the company in full activity eugenia when we parted expressed a wish that our acquaintance might not be renewed she feared for her own character as well as mine and very sensibly and feelingly observed that my professional prospects might be blasted but having made up my mind i had an answer for all her objections i presented myself to the manager and requested to be admitted into the company Having taken this step, Eugenia saw that my attachment was not to be overcome, that I was willing to make any sacrifice for her. I was accepted. My salary was fixed at one guinea per week, with seven shillings extra for playing the flute. I was indebted for my ready admission into this society to my voice. The manager wanted a first singer. My talent in this science was much admired i signed my agreement the same evening for two months and being presented in due form to my brethren of the buskin joined the supper-table where there was more of abundance than of delicacies i sat by eugenia whose decided preference for me excited the jealousy of my new associates i measured them all with my eye and calculated that with fair play i was the best man among them The playbills announced the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. I was to be the hero, and four days were allowed me to prepare myself. The whole of that time was passed in the company of Eugenia, who, while she gave me unequivocal proofs of attachment, admitted of no freedom. The day of rehearsal arrived. I was found perfect, and loudly applauded by the company. Six o'clock came. The curtain rose and sixteen tallow candles displayed my person to an audience of about one hundred people. No one who has not been in the situation can form any idea of the nervous feeling of a debutant on such an occasion. The troupe, with the exception of Eugenia, was of a description of persons whom I despise, and the audience, mostly clodhoppers, who could scarcely read or write yet i was abashed and acquitted myself badly until the balcony scene when i became enlivened and invigorated by the presence and smiles of my mistress in the art of love-making i was at home particularly with the juliet of that night i entered at once into the spirit of the great dramatist and the curtain dropped amidst thunders of applause my name was announced for a repetition of the play and i was dragged forward before the curtain to thank the grocers tallow chandlers cheesemongers and ploughmen for the great honour they had done me heavens how i felt the degradation but it was too late the natural result of this constant intercourse with eugenia may easily be anticipated i do not attempt to extenuate my fault It was inexcusable, and has brought its punishment. But for poor, forlorn Eugenia I plead. Her virtue fell before my importunity and my personal appearance. She fell a victim to those unhappy circumstances, of which I basely took the advantage. Two months I had lived with her as man and wife. I forgot my family, profession, and even Emily. I was now upon the ship's books, and though no one knew anything of me—my father was ignorant of my absence from the ship—everything was sacrificed to Eugenia. I acted with her, strolled the fields, and vowed volumes of stuff about constancy. When we played we filled the house, and some of the more respectable townspeople offered to introduce us to the London boards, but this we both declined we cared for nothing but the society of each other and now that time has cooled the youthful ardour that carried me away let me do justice to this unfortunate girl she was the most natural unaffected and gifted person i ever met with boundless wit enchanting liveliness a strong mind and self-devotion towards me the first and i firmly believe the only object she ever loved and her love for me ceased only with her life her faults though not to be defended may be palliated and deplored because they were the defects of education her infant days were passed in scenes of domestic strife profligacy and penury her maturer years under the guidance of a weak mother were employed in polishing not strengthening the edifice of her understanding, and the external ornaments only served to accelerate the fall of the fabric, and to increase the calamity. Bred up in France, and almost in the fervour of the Revolution, she had imbibed some of its libertine opinions, among others that marriage was a civil contract, and if entered into at all, might be broken at the pleasure of either party this idea was strengthened and confirmed in her by the instances she had seen of matrimonial discord particularly in her own family when two people who fancied they loved had bound themselves by an indissoluble knot they felt from that time the irksomeness of restraint which they would never have felt if they had possessed the power of separation and would have lived happily together if they had not been compelled to do it How long you, my dear Frank, said Eugenia to me one day, may continue to love me, I know not. But the moment you cease to love me, it were better that we parted. These were certainly the sentiments of an enthusiast. But Eugenia lived long enough to acknowledge her error, and to bewail its fatal effects on her peace of mind. I was awoke from this dream of happiness by a curious incident— i thought it disastrous at the time but am now convinced that it was fraught with good since it brought me back to my profession recalled me to my sense of duty and showed me the full extent of my disgraceful situation my father it appears was still ignorant of my absence from my ship and had come down without my knowledge on a visit to a friend in the neighbourhood hearing of the interesting young man who had acquired so much credit in the character of apollo as well as of romeo he was persuaded to see the performance i was in the act of singing pray goody when my eyes suddenly met those of my papa who was staring like the head of gorgon and though his gaze did not turn me to stone it turned me sick i was stupefied forgot my part ran off and left the manager and the music to make the best of it my father who could hardly believe his eyes was convinced when he saw my confusion i ran into the dressing-room where before i had time to divest myself of apollo's crown and petticoat i was accosted by my enraged parent and it is quite impossible for me to describe taking my costume into consideration how very much like a fool i looked My father sternly demanded how long I had been thus honourably employed. This was a question which I had anticipated, and therefore very readily replied, only two or three days, that I had left Portsmouth for what we called a lark, and I thought it very amusing. "'Very amusing indeed, sir,' said my father. "'And pray, may I venture to inquire, without the fear of having a lie told me, how long this lark, as you call it, is to continue?' "'Oh, to-morrow,' said I, "'my leave expires, and then I must return to my ship.' "'Allow me the honour of keeping your company,' said my father, "'and I shall beg your captain to impose some little restraint as to time and distance on your future excursions.' Then, rising in his tone, he added, "'I am ashamed of you, sir. "'The son of a gentleman is not likely to reap any advantage from the society of strolling vagabonds and prostitutes.' i had reason to think by your last letters from portsmouth that you were very differently employed to this very sensible and parental reproof i answered with a demure and innocent countenance for i soon regained my presence of mind that i did not think there had been any harm in doing that which most of the officers of the navy did at one time or another an assertion by the by much too general that we often got up plays on board of ship and that i wanted to practise practise then with your equals said my father not in the company with rogues and street-walkers i felt that the latter name was meant for eugenia and was very indignant but fortunately kept all my anger within board and knowing i was all in the wrong allowed my father to fire away without returning a shot He concluded his lecture by commanding me to call upon him the next morning at ten o'clock, and left me to change my dress and to regain my good humour. I need not add that I did not return to the stage that night, but left the manager to make his peace with the audience in any way he thought proper. When I informed Eugenia of the evening's adventure she was inconsolable. To comfort her I offered to give up my family and my profession and live with her, at these words eugenia suddenly recollected herself frank said she all that has happened is right we are both wrong i felt that i was too happy and shut my eyes to the danger i dared not face your father is a man of sense his object is to reclaim you from inevitable ruin as for me if he knew of our connection he could only despise me he sees his son living with strolling players and it is his duty to cut the chain no matter by what means you have an honourable and distinguished career marked out for you i will never be an obstacle to your father's just ambition or your prosperity i did hope for a happier destiny but love blinded my eyes i am now undeceived if your father cannot respect me he shall at least admire the resolution of the unhappy eugenia i have tenderly loved you my dearest frank and never have loved any other nor ever shall but part we must heaven only knows for how long a time i am ready to make every sacrifice to your fame and character the only proof i can give of my unbounded love for you I embraced her as she uttered these words, and we spent a great part of the night in making preparations for my departure, arrangements for our future correspondence, and, if possible, for our future meetings. I left her early on the following morning, and with a heavy, I had almost said a broken heart, appeared before my father. He was, no doubt, aware of my attachment, and the violence of my passions and prudently endeavoured to soothe them he received me affectionately did not renew the subject of the preceding night and we became very good friends in tearing myself away from eugenia i found the truth of the french adage ce n'est que la première pas qui coûte my heart grew lighter as i increased my distance from her my father to detach my mind still more from the unfortunate subject spoke much of family affairs, of my brother and sisters, and lastly named Mr. Somerville and Emily. Here he touched on the right chord. The remembrance of Emily revived the expiring embers of virtue, and the recollection of the pure and perfect mistress of Blank Hall, for a time, dismissed the unhappy Eugenia from my mind." i told my father that i would engage never to disgrace him or myself any more if he would promise not to name my late folly to mr somerville or his daughter that said my father i promise most readily and with the greater pleasure since i see in your request the strongest proof of the sense of your error this conversation passed on our road to portsmouth where we had no sooner arrived than my father who was acquainted with the port admiral left me at the george while he crossed the street to call on him the result of this interview was that i should be sent out immediately in some sea-going ship with a tight captain there was one of this description just about to sail for basque roads and at the admiral's particular request i was received on board as a supernumerary there being no vacancies in the ship my father who by this time was wide awake to all my wiles saw me on board and then flattering himself that i was in safe custody took his leave and returned to the shore i very soon found that i was under an embargo and was not on any account to be allowed leave of absence this was pretty nearly what i expected but i had my own resources i had now learned to laugh at trifles and i cared little about this decided step which his prudence induced him to take chapter ten